Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the show. This episode is all about hormones, those internal chemical messages that have a powerful influence on our mental and physical well-being. Now, when your hormone levels are balanced, you'll tend to have stable moods and feel energetic, motivated and mentally sharp. But when hormone levels are out of whack, you may experience a range of symptoms that are commonly associated with mental illness like depression. So there may be anxiety, fatigue, brain fog, low motivation, low libido, difficulty concentrating, the list goes on. And often people don't realize it is the imbalance in their hormones that are causing the problems. To talk us through all of this is Dr. Nikki Key, a hormone expert who's lent her expertise to the likes of the International Olympic Committee and regularly contributes to publications, including the British Journal of Sports Medicine. In this episode, Nikki's going to be talking about the primary sex hormones. So in women, that's estrogen, in men, testosterone. And low testosterone in men can lead to all of the symptoms I already mentioned. And too much or too little estrogen can really leave you feeling out of sorts too. Now, I have had my hormones checked a couple of times in 2019 and 2021, and I noticed that my free testosterone levels had decreased a bit over that two-year period. Not out of the normal range, thankfully, but enough for me to have a bit of a look into it. Because of lockdown and home working, I was less active than previously. I wasn't walking to work, I'd stopped lifting weights, I was even seeing fewer friends socially. And once I realized that lifestyle factors like that were possibly contributing to the testosterone decrease, I looked into it, I did something about it and have definitely noticed a difference. And that's a key message that Nikki makes. 
getting your lifestyle factors in check, so things like sleep, nutrition, stress management and exercise, and which type of exercise, crucially, can have a really positive impact on your hormonal health and subsequently how you feel in body and mind. And this is true for men and women. And during this episode, we dive into the key areas for both sexes. So I hope you find this episode useful. If you do, please can you share it? It really does make a huge difference. Speaking of which, a massive thank you to Michael May, Alex Lucas, Susie Lawson, Paul Critchley, Lauren MacArthur, Jim McRobert, Simon Hayes, Chris Paniutu in the States, and Danny Anholt, to name just a few, for spreading the word about the podcast. Your support really is hugely appreciated, and it does make a big difference to a one-man band like myself. Right, let's dive into this chat all about hormones. I hope you find it useful. Hello, Nikki Key. How are you? Very well. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well indeed. I am delighted to be speaking to you. Now, Nikki, it is fair to say, is it not, that you are one of the country's top experts when it comes to understanding hormones. But even more than that, you have a bit of a niche insofar as you are able to guide people on how to improve their hormonal health with lifestyle and exercise and nutrition changes? Yeah, I, th I think that's a very good way of putting it. I mean, I've done my time in the NHS and sometimes, unfortunately, it is necessary. You do have to prescribe medications for people. But my particular focus is on is there, there are some situations where I believe actually by empowering the person with information about their hormones and what to do to improve them themselves, in some situations, obviously not particular, like I said, disease states, it isn't, you know, you don't have to resort to the medication. So that's where, as you say, my niche is, uh, I'm very much wanting to explain to people about their hormones, what they can do to improve them, to hopefully stave off having to resort to medication, although that might be the case. Now, hormones are nothing new. But am I right in thinking that the awareness of hormones, of hormonal health, of people getting their hormones checked is big time on the rise? Yeah, I think the reason is because hormones are very mysterious. You know, you can't see them, you can't feel them, you can't touch them. Yet we're told all oh, these chemical messengers inside is very important. So it's difficult to, you know, sort of get a feel for what does that, that exactly mean? So that's why people maybe didn't appreciate what hormones are or how important they are. But now, especially with the unfortunate times with the pandemic, etc., people are more aware of their health and want to know what's going on inside their bodies. And hormones are one of the things top on the list. It's good to get in tune with them and know what they're doing and what they're up to. I've had my hormones checked. I've had the pinprick test for my hormones twice via Forth, who you are, you're the chief medical officer? For yeah, that's Forth? it. So yeah. um, the reason... I accepted the offer of being chief medical officer of Forth because Forth basically are, you know, my way of thinking that it's all about empowering person, the person, uh, people out there with information about themselves, their biomarkers and particularly hormones. And also, as you said, doing it through a finger prick. So, you know, doing your own blood sample, pricking a finger and putting a few drops of blood in a tube. It also makes it accessible. So you don't have to go and have a you know, uh, the traditional blood taking thing at the hospital and all that. And so 
for all those reasons, I think fourth is, um, you know, very much aligned, you know, that's what our purpose is so that people yeah. can get to grips and know what, know what's happening inside them. And what's the point of that? If you, the more information, you know, the, that empowers you to make changes or slight modifications of your lifestyle to improve those factors. So in other words, you know, you can take charge and also, frankly, take responsibility <laughs> yes. for, for your health and be proactive rather than just waiting until something goes wrong. Let's be proactive about this. Let's let's get into preventative medicine. Let's try and as far as possible uh, prevent uh, you know problems arising in advance. It's interesting you said waiting for something to go wrong because, and this is in no way a criticism of the NHS or of the medical system in this country, but it is very much an ambulance at the bottom of the hill as opposed to a gate at the top to stop people from going over the edge, as it were. Is is that a fair analogy? Well, yes. Uh, as you say, I've worked in the NHS. I think we're all very proud of it, and especially in these recent times, it does an amazing job. But the bottom line is there are a heck of a lot of people and, you know, only a limited number of doctors and nurses and support staff. So that is really ultimately what it comes down to. So like you say, rather than being health, it is more becoming a focus on the sickness. But if we think about the WHO definition of health, it's not just simply an absence of illness. It should be positively good condition in terms of physical, mental and social health. So, yes, I think we're coming at it from a different angle but actually let's get you to your maximum health whatever that is for you looking like for you as an individual and then of course that's going to be uh, disease prevention in itself rather than just letting things run their course and and then maybe you know getting ill and at that point you have to pitch up and, and rely on the NHS so you know I'm also helping the NHS because I want to offload the NHS by doing a blood test and giving them some sort of straightforward advice actually that that's a really, really important thing for the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more we can be proactive and yes. responsible, mm-hmm. as you say, mm. not only are we doing ourselves a favour, we're actually doing the NHS and by extension, the country and society there you a favour as go. well. So, yes. Anyway, <laughs> right. right. Let's go back then to the subject, hormones. Mm-hmm. So, as you said there, this mysterious substance, as it were. So, let's really go back to Hormones 101. What are hormones? What are they made of? And what is their function, as it were, within the body? Well, you commonly see them described as chemical messengers uh, inside the body, which I guess that's what they are. So they're uh, very small molecules that get transported around in the bloodstream. And you said, well, what are they exactly? So small molecules, and generally we can divide them into two big groups. They're either the so-called steroid-type hormones, like the sex steroid hormones people may have heard of, estradiol, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, those sorts of hormones. And then the the other sort of group are the protein-based hormones like growth hormone, uh, like insulin, for example. So if you want to sort of get some technical terms in there. So there's small molecules going around in the bloodstream and they communicate because obviously blood goes everywhere in your body. So it's a very good way to be transported and once they arrive as as a cell let's take estrogen once the hormone estrogen wends its way in the bloodstream and it arrives at the bone 
And then the bone welcomes it because it's got a particular receptor waiting for it. It says, here, come and join, come here. Uh, and then once, this is the fascinating bit, once the hormone docks onto the cell, it goes into your, the nucleus of the cell, the DNA, and it directs gene expression. So what that means is it tells the DNA, it's right, okay, you need to make this particular protein. And so that's a direct way that hormones affect your health, because obviously you want proteins that are going to help your bone health. For example, if we're talking about bone, it, it's so hormones are managing your internal function and what's going on and how your DNA is expressed, because DNA by itself is just sitting there, not well, you know, it's just there. Uh, it's not really doing much, but the hormones bring it to life, literally. But that's why hormones are so crucial for your health, because you want the hormone the right hormones at the right time and in the right place, <laughs> don't right. you? Um, and so that's why they are mysterious, but so, so crucial. So you say we want them in the right time, in the right place, mm -hmm. doing the right thing. Right. And so if our hormones get out of whack, mm -hmm. I mean, how common is it, first of all, that that happens? And also how common is it then that, people in your experience might think that they suffer from, I don't know, something like depression or anxiety because of the way they're thinking or something like that. Mm. But actually, if you looked under the bonnet, it'd be no, their hormones are dysregulated out of whack. How common is that? And what are the effects of it? There could potentially, I mean, normally, the body is an amazing machine, by the way, it, it normally it functions pretty pretty well and adapts according to the terrain you know but unfortunately things do go wrong the crucial thing that i think one doesn't appreciate is that what you do on the outside affects your hormones on the inside and so your lifestyle choices in terms of nutrition exercise and sleep those have a direct effect on your hormones so for example if you have you know very disrupted sleep you're going to bed consistently very late and you've got very poor sleep patterns you know and variable sleep patterns this puts out that exquisite timekeeping of your hormones out of whack like you say and so now actually you're going to feel be feeling maybe depressed so it's a sort of a cause and effect sometimes it's because your it's your lifestyle choices are unbalanced that has a knock-on effect on your hormones and that makes you not feel so well Sometimes the truly you do have to take medication for, for things. But I think in a lot of cases, actually an approach from the lifestyle point of view will help the hormones rebalance. Right. Okay. So just to summarize there. So sometimes people's hormones can get a bit out of balance just because. But in the majority of cases, it's down to lifestyle, to the food we eat, the exercise we do the stress that we mm. may or may not be under and the sleep and the quality of sleep that we have. Those are the factors primarily that affect our hormones and our hormonal health. I think in quite a lot of situations, because for example, type 2 diabetes, it's true there is a genetic element to it. But then if you had identical twins with the same genetic risk, if one of them was continuously overeating to surplus to their requirements and not doing any exercise they're more likely to develop diabetes than their identical twin who is eating what they require and doing exercise and things like that. So I don't want to say every single endocrine condition 
mm. is dependent on lifestyle, but it's certainly a really important factor. There might be the genetic disposition there, but actually in some cases like diabetes, for example, and other things like this, it's then also dependent on the lifestyle factors. So you said endocrine system. That just means basically the hormone system, right? Yeah. So we can okay. talk about individual yeah. hormones. We can let's talk about estrogen. We spoke mentioned that. So estrogen, that's a hormone. But then, well, how is that controlled? Because we said right time, right place, and right amount, and all that thing. So the endocrine system is the whole control system. What's the what are the control loops? And it also it includes the glands that secrete the hormones. It uh, includes the response, the target organs like the bone, for example. So endocrine is just like everything to do with hormones from top oh, to bottom. Gotcha. So the endocrine system is the choir in its uh, full glory. Conductor, instruments, various uh, musicians all playing together is that a reasonable analogy well, i think you must have been reading an endocrine book because often they call the conductor of the endocrine orchestra is in the brain right. uh, it's called the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland they're endocrine glands and they are the bosses they're the conductors and you're absolutely right they conduct they set in motion the time the score whatever you want to analogy you want to draw with all the different components of the orchestra at their disposal. But I think that's actually quite nice, the orchestra, because they've, they've got little, you know, you've got the wind instruments, you've got the uh, strings and all this sort of thing. And that's sort of the same with the hormones. They have sort of certain groups that are working together. Okay, right. Just quickly, you mentioned diabetes. Can you just quickly explain what has gone wrong from a hormonal point of view? Just to give us a bit of an example before yeah. we move forward. First of all, we should say there are two types of diabetes. There's a thing called type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes, which is this sort of, you know, bad luck as it were, the person isn't producing enough insulin. So then they can't bring the blood sugar down. So the blood sugar goes very high. And diabetes has been described as starvation in the face of plenty. So although there's plenty of glucose in the bloodstream, not much is getting to the cells. And this typically first presents in younger people. And so that will need an insulin injection to replace what they can't make. So that's type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes, which is probably the one that people are more familiar with and unfortunately is on the big increase in the Western world. And that's the one that typically starts later in life. And this is the one where, yes, there is a genetic predisposition to it, but it's aggravated by lifestyle factors, like we said, of excess uh, food intake and not enough exercise. And so in this case, there's a high glucose level in the blood. So insulin thinks, oh my goodness, I need to get going. So it increases. But the cells get really bored. It's like, oh, not this insulin knocking on the door again. So what happens is there's a thing called insulin resistance. The cells don't respond to the insulin very well. And, but this means that there's lots of glucose still swirling around in the bloodstream. And this causes a lot of problems. The person can be acutely unwell, but in the long term, lots of glucose in the bloodstream cause lots of the blood vessels to literally clog up. That's why diabetics, you often hear about them having eye problems and they have to have eye checks, you know, more at risk of heart disease, stroke and circulation as well. So that's what diabetes is. And it's all down to insulin, not controlling the blood sugar as it should. Right. When do you think it's a good idea for people to really think about their hormonal health and, and making sure they're doing everything to keep it all ticking over as, as best as possible? Well, 
probably from the moment you're born. But realistically, actually, even in childhood, because during childhood, you know, there's the growth spurt driven by growth hormone and, you know, puberty gets underway in uh, men and women. And if you're not exercising sufficiently or too much or you're eating too much or too little, usual thing, if you haven't got the right balance of your lifestyle factors, then that is going to disrupt even then potentially growth. A very interesting study is coming out now that children that are too sedentary and, you know, staying up late playing computer games, they're more likely to disrupt their hormones and have cardiovascular disease as adults. So wow. you know what I mean? And, but also at the other end of the, of the spectrum, children that are going into sports, early sports specialization at a very early age and training effectively like adults when they're not, this will also disrupt their development and they can end up with you know, weaker bones than anticipated and things like this. So when you're saying, when should we start thinking about hormones? Well, right, literally from, from birth. So that's childhood. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, adulthood, we're, we're going along and theoretically, yes, your hormones should all be nicely settled and balanced and, and working nicely. Uh, but again, if anything becomes out of balance in terms of behaviours, then that's going to have a knock-on effect. And then as you get a little bit older, the hormones are just going a little bit slower, shall we say. So, for example, growth hormone starts to decrease and that has a big impact on body composition. The sex steroid hormones, men, testosterone, estradiol in women, that starts going down. So that's another flashpoint. It's still the same lifestyle factors that are important and the balance mm. of those, but maybe the balance is now you're going to have to change those. You're going to change those up as you move into different phases of your hormone lifespan, you see. Right. A couple of quick fire questions for you, Nikki, before we dive into some of the more meaty stuff. Something I hear not infrequently these days is this idea of adrenal fatigue, where your adrenal glands are said to have basically been burnt out through stress, through working too hard, through et cetera, et cetera. Yet there seems to be a bit of um, a bit of uncertainty as to whether adrenal fatigue is actually a real thing. What's your take on that, just briefly? It's not a medical thing. I understand what people are trying to say by that term, mm. but it's not a medical, it's not a diagnosis. Right. If your adrenal is not producing enough cortisol, you, you do have a medical condition. It's called Addison's disease. But that's, that's not adrenal fatigue. But I think what people are trying to say is, you're saying burnt out. So what's happened is that their stress management isn't very good and the sleep patterns are disrupted. And cortisol is very, very dependent on sleep patterns. And so if that gets disrupted, the variation of cortisol, then sure, what's going to happen is your cortisol won't be showing its nice normal fluctuation and it will just sort of stay steady and actually slightly steady on the higher side. So it won't show any variation. So it's not that it's suddenly not working. It's just that it's not showing the usual variation. And that's why you don't feel so good. We all know what it feels like, but it's not a medical condition. It just means you've got your lifestyle factors, uh, you know, out of balance. So supplements saying adrenal support and all that kind of thing, take them with a little well, bit of a pinch. Well, I wouldn't of salt. take them because if you <laughs> haven't got an Addison's, if you haven't got Addison's yeah. disease, which is a medical condition diagnosed and a really low, 
and a truly low level. But, but just that... diagnosing yourself with adrenal fatigue and getting some supplement well, is a no-no. No, no, no. no, because you actually could be making it worse because right. lots of the supplements, they won't be regulated. As a general rule, you don't sound particularly pro-supplements. Well, everyone in the UK should be taking vitamin D supplementation. That's from Public Health England. So that is the main supplement you should, everybody should be taking because you can't get enough of it. The main source is from sunlight. And even if you go around naked all winter in the UK... I haven't done that for years. Uh, You're not going to get enough vitamin D and you can't get sufficient through your diet alone. So supplements, there's some that you really need. But generally, if you are having a balance of food types in your diet and you're doing all the things we're discussing, then you shouldn't really need supplements other than vitamin D. Okay. You mentioned cortisol and sleep patterns. Uh And... Also, you mentioned as well timekeeping. And I've interviewed Professor Sachin Panda about circadian rhythms uh-huh. and keeping everything in check, and which mm-hmm. was fascinating. And, you know, eating at the same time. And I know what my best bedtime is for anyone interested. I, I try and lights out at 10, up mm-hmm. at 6.30. That's if, if I'm doing that and eating my meals at the right time, mm-hmm. I, I tend to feel all right. But in my 20s, mm. I developed quite bad insomnia. Mm. And it's one of these catch-22 yep, situations exactly. where you start to think you can't sleep and fear mm-hmm. sleep. So the cortisol mm-hmm. is fear in the sleep, which is feeding mm-hmm. the cortisol. And you get mm-hmm. stuck in this in this mm-hmm. cycle. It's easy to say, oh, get your sleep sorted. But actually, sometimes it's it's not that easy. And I mean, I've got a separate podcast that addresses that type of thing and what you can do in those situations. But yeah, sometimes you can get stuck in these, I suppose, vicious cycles. Yeah, the body likes routine. Your body has got intrinsic biological clocks. Inside your body, all the hormones have their particular clocks. They run on different timescales, like cortisol runs over the 24-hour period, peaks in the morning, goes low in the evening. So they've all got their own time patterns, their own timekeeping, thank you very much. But if you are doing things that are totally out of sync with what your body's trying to do, it's not going to end well. This is circadian misalignment, particularly sleep. Uh, we know that uh, people that have to do shift work, <laughs> doctors, uh, it's not good for your health. Uh, you know, we know we are more at risk of metabolic disease, etc., because it puts all the, the cortisol and glucose control out of whack. Mm. But you're absolutely right. I don't want to minimise you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, you need to break the vicious cycle. But you're absolutely right. It's, it becomes a psychological thing. So we're not trying to minimize this. But if people realize that this is the key, then actually you have to be, like you say, quite regimented. And you have to put on an alarm for bedtime. And you mm. and you have to stop looking at that computer <laughs> late at night because yeah. it disrupts the production of the sleep hormone melatonin. So and, you know, like you say, regular eating times and all that sort of thing. But also not to get stressed. Listen, sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, sometimes no. it's, you know, it's like, well, you intended to have your lunch at one o'clock or whatever, but then there was a patient you needed to see and then whatever. And now it's three o'clock and it, so life happens. Yeah. But uh, in general, you're trying to stick to a routine almost, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Occasionally, I have to get up for the Today program, which involves getting picked up by a taxi at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then the adrenaline's pumping as well within about an hour as well for a few hours. That day, I'm always wired, and then I have a big crash the next day. It always takes me a few days yeah. to recover from it. So I'm very, very aware of, of routine. Right. <laughs> 
I mentioned to you, I've been tested via Forth twice. So once was back in 2019. And then again, I got tested at the back end of last year. So Mm -hmm. two years worth of lockdowns and homeworking and that kind of thing. The report that I got back was overall a great set of results, but I was just having a bit of a closer look at them. Mm -hmm. So for example, testosterone is a big thing, Mm -hmm. particularly for us chaps. And for example, there's a lot of people I know now, there seems to be an increase in testosterone replacement therapy, even amongst younger men. And symptoms of low testosterone are similar to things like depression. So you might have low energy, be irritable, low libido, low interest in some of your Mm -hmm. normal activities, all that kind of thing. So testosterone's not only very important, but also very of the moment as well. A lot of people are are talking about it. And like I said, I know a few people, for example, who've decided to hop onto testosterone replacement therapy, which certainly I imagine wasn't happening, you know, five, 10 years ago. Now, just back to my own results. So you've got total testosterone Mm -hmm. and then you've got free testosterone. Mm -hmm. Free testosterone, that's the key one, isn't it? Because that is the amount of testosterone that is available for use by the body. Yeah, biologically active. So yeah, yeah, so... Testosterone is a steroid hormone, so it's not sort of soluble in water, or basically the blood doesn't like it, so it has to be transported around. So the total that they measure is everything. And then that's subdivided into the stuff that's bound, and like you say, the free that is biologically active. Normally they follow very closely, because the body, again, is a pretty amazing system, and it will keep everything in balance, so it will notice if actually the free is going down, and it will adjust. The production of the total and it will make might try and reduce the amount of the bound so you know they're, they're sort of fluid things that change nevertheless if despite all the adjustments the body tries to make the if the free level is going down then yeah that potentially can cause some problems but the good news is that you can do something about it Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask you, Nikki, because I was just having a bit of a look back mm-hmm. over my results and comparing, and I hadn't actually done that until mm-hmm. I was preparing for our chat. And um, mm-hmm. 
my free testosterone had dropped uh-huh. between um, the middle of 2019 and the mm-hmm. middle of 2021. So over the course of two years, mm-hmm. it dropped by uh, 0.15. I'm not going to say much more about what it was, but it's still within range. But to me, I was a bit like, oh, that's interesting. Now, I wondered... Because back in 2019, obviously, I was commuting to work. So that mm-hmm. meant I was getting the train up to Waterloo. I would walk from Waterloo mm-hmm. to Oxford Circus. So there was... Wow, yeah. Yeah, so that was, I mean, not every day, but on the whole, yeah, I yeah. tried to do that. So so that's, you know, half an hour mm. exercise at the beginning and end of each day. And then I was going to the gym in, oh. in the middle of the day as well. Yep. I was going to the BBC gym. Mm. So I was doing those things. And then obviously, life just changed overnight, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And immediately, the commute went so i lost probably the best part of at least six thousand steps a day i've tried to fit some in but having those automatically inserted as they previously were is impossible Mm -hmm. and then also i wasn't going to the gym so i started doing body weight stuff free weight stuff and runs and this kind of stuff anyway i just wondered whether that drop that i've noticed in free testosterone could be down to the fact that I am more sedentary mm. or have been more sedentary and the fact as well that that I wasn't lifting weights for a period. I mean, I was still doing press-ups and all those kind of stuff. I was, like I said, body weight stuff, but I wasn't actually lifting heavy-ish weights. I've since bought myself a load of, of dumbbells <laughs> and, and stuff like and a bench and everything like that, and I'm back into lifting weights. But yeah, I was just wondering that drop and the possible relationship with what we've all gone through over the last couple of years. Mm, listen, you got it spot on. Nice, nice spot. Well done. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, when we talk about exercise, I think many people think, oh, I mean a session, you know, like uh, I'm, this is, I'm going to the gym to purposely do that. I mean, of course, you should do, by the way, but, but you just described how actually just being active, you know, walking from Waterloo to uh, Oxford Circus, you know, that's a fair, it's a reasonable distance, right? Okay, yeah. you weren't doing it every day, but you're right, just being active. And that's what studies have shown. I mean, great if you can go and do a, an exercise session, but also if you're sit, sedentary, the length of sedentary time during the day is also a very, very big factor in metabolic health and testosterone that we're talking about. So definitely, I think you're decreasing activity, but also to highlight uh, the other point you made there, that the type, when you go do go and do a formal exercise, if we want to call it that, then actually the type of exercise you do is very important. Um, And so the strength work, absolutely good evidence to show that, dare I say it, as we get older, we should be focusing more on the strength. uh, So resistance training. Resistance training. So ideally ideally lifting weights, like you say. And why is that? That is for many reasons, but one of them is metabolic health because muscle is very metabolically active. So it will, you know, soak up. Uh, any surplus glucose and get the muscles processing that but also from the testosterone point of view and body composition but not only testosterone also growth hormone you see right so that's why although we're talking about men and testosterone actually this what i'm what we're talking about is also equally applicable to women ideally yes you should be lifting weight but definitely more focus on generally trying to be active and even if you are sitting down a lot try and get up and go for a walk and keep active in that sense but also in terms of exercise don't just do cardio uh, yeah. include some sort of strength work you mentioned about the cardio so as well i've tried to cut back on the amount of longer runs i've gone on and do a bit more sort of interval stuff so i'll yeah. nip to the park and just do short sprints i mean literally 
six second sprints, mm -hmm. perhaps do six, seven, eight of them, because I've heard that that type of yep. cardio is better for hormonal health than 10Ks or marathons, that type of thing. Absolutely. So yeah, especially as you get a bit older or middle-aged, the strength and the intensity of the exercise. So doing the short, sharp burst like that, also more beneficial in terms of hormone health than doing longer runs. So yeah, absolutely. You need to do strength training, you need to do more more intense interval thing and actually holding back almost on the long longer things you know like that you'll just feel more energized and on the ball and also confident that actually you know you're doing your hormones a lot of good okay you mentioned sedentary as well so mm -hmm. um you know i'm using myself as an example over the last couple of years so i've been um obviously working at home my commute a lot of the time has consisted of going from my bedroom to a room about <laughs> 10 feet away mm. and then sitting. I've been, as people know, writing a book mm -hmm. um, for quite a while, as I know you are too. Mm -hmm. You know what that's like. You sit for a, a long period of times. So I might get a bit slouchy. So when yes. it comes to being, to being sedentary and being sat for long periods of time, what would your hormonal health advice be in terms of sitting down and being sedentary for too long? Yeah, well, I know exactly what you mean. Like you say, I'm also writing a book about hormones that happens. So, so, but especially if you get into your work, you're sitting there and yeah, you sort of get into it, you lean forward, you're slouching and then you get a bit, and then you sort of suddenly realize you've been sitting in the same bad position for the last hour when you were intending to get up and do something. So it's a bit like the bedtime alarm thing. Maybe even have an alarm on your clock or something where you make yourself stop, get up, and actually, my son, when he was working from home, he was he was very good. He had this routine where he would just literally walk around the block. How often? He would do it before he worked. He would do it like mid-morning and with lunchtime. So he would break up his day into bits like so that. So five, but, four, five, six times yeah, a day. Yeah, but you don't have to, you know, but even if you just get up and just wander into a different room, it's something or get up and just stretch yeah. or get up and do something, you know. So, but just trying not to be sitting there from 9 a.m. till 12 or 1 and then suddenly you realize oh I've been sitting in this same position so it's so my top advice is just try and whatever the reminder is a little alarm or I don't know yeah. some sort of note or whatever is going to attract to your attention to make sure that I mean it's great to get engrossed in your work but actually sometimes also taking a break can also help by the way so yeah. you know what it's like yeah. writing a book the words just go round and round in your head and it's just like oh, oh god. my god it's not making sense anymore and you just read what <laughs> you know how it is yeah. your just brain is like actually your brain also needs a needs a, a break. break your body yeah. needs a break and also your eyes need a break All right. so, actually, so maybe like set, an, set a sort of a reminder for like 90 minutes or something like that just try and get yeah, up just get even up if it's just go around. to another room okay fine mm -hmm. okay so we've got Type of exercise, so mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at resistance, uh, short, sharp bursts, yep. just making sure you're getting up on, on your feet, cutting mm -hmm. back on those longer runs, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So that's the sort of exercise point of view, okay? Mm -hmm. In terms of sleep, so it would be having a regular bedtime routine mm -hmm. and a regular bedtime mm -hmm. and making sure that you're reducing the blue light, you know, mm -hmm. all those sleep hygiene yes, things. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, having a consistent time to get up as well, even at weekends, would that help? Um, ideally. I mean, not at the, your half past four, by the way. No, oh God, no, <laughs> honestly. Jeez. But, uh, you know, people say, oh, I can lie in, but actually it's, I mean, you know. Counterproductive? Well, there's a lion and there's a lion, isn't there? If you normally yeah. get up at seven and you allow and you get up at eight, then that's fine. But if you normally get up at seven and you're you're gonna 
stay in bed till 11 that you see what I mean so yeah a little bit of a leeway you have to relax a little bit but in some ways it would be better if you're really tired that you went to bed earlier rather than get up later you see yeah okay right and then in terms of nutrition as well yep. now so you know I've experimented with a few things in my time I've I've done mm -hmm. a bit of intermittent fasting I mean I would I still do to a certain degree like I said I try and eat most mm -hmm. of my food I get up at half six normally and eat breakfast around between half eight and nine and try and finish by about seven. So it's about mm -hmm. a 10 hour window, give or take. Certainly 80% of the time I'm mm -hmm. like that. But, you know, for a while I, I went down, I was doing um, eight hour windows, even down six hour windows. And actually I started to feel a bit burnt out. Yeah. So that's what works for me. But then as well, in terms of the composition of the meals we should eat and what we shouldn't eat, what are your nutrition guidelines for peak hormonal health? Well, obviously, there are many aspects to food. The very basic level, you need to give yourself sufficient energy for what you want to do. So this is going to vary depending sure. who you are, if you're a man or woman, what's your body composition, what are you doing? So obviously, you need to eat sufficient, but trying to spread it across many food groups. And actually, carbohydrates have come in for a lot of bad press, complex carbohydrates I'm talking about, uh, bread, protein, pasta, these sorts of things. And of course, if you're a type 2 diabetic, then of course you have to be conscious not to have too many of those things. But on the other hand, for most of us, having some carbohydrate is actually good for hormonal health, especially for sex steroid hormones. So, is that know, right? Sex steroid hormones? Okay. Yes, they like, they like carbohydrate. Um, right, okay. So I have lots so if of... So if we want our libido to be good, have a few carbs. Well, Complex like, carbs, I imagine. Yes, exactly. So, and But this is particularly true... For men, but also women who, for example, the female athletes I often work with who are not eating enough carbohydrate their, and energy overall, their periods stop. But actually, it, it turns out it's actually, yes, it's not enough energy, but actually particularly it's the carbohydrates. So Interesting. I want people to be just be aware. I'm just I'm sort of the middle ground person. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you fine. know what I mean? I'm just saying not, no extremes. Sure. It's, okay. Don't cut yeah. out so this it, entirely, but don't please take this as don't a, go overboard. A, a go either. and eat loads of go and eat a whole loaf of bread. Now I've said this, so it's just trying to cover all your bases in yeah. terms of the main food groups of the carbohydrates, the protein, and a little bit of fat, and also the timing, like you said, is key. Having again some sort of time uh, structure to your meal plans that's going to keep your hormones happy because your hormones are creatures of habit. They've got their own clocks ticking right. away so if you try and do some crazy <laughs> different timing and different thing then it makes their job very difficult sure um okay just in terms of the carbs quickly so would you say brown rice over white rice brown bread over white bread you know that kind of thing the more the more yes, I mean, the slower less release carbs yeah exactly so it's uh, <coughs> number one they're less processed so you're going to have less various things uh, that you didn't want in it but also you're absolutely right it's sort of uh, the slow release so when I in my days of doing diabetic clinics it was like well for breakfast having brown flakes would be a slower release thing than having um what are those sugary types of cereals you oh, know yeah. the one with the cocoa extra pops sugar. or anything yeah, like yeah, yeah something like that all going for something that is slow release in that sense will put less of a strain on your body because it won't have a big high uh you know uh, sugar sugar, sugar crash. exactly for insulin to deal with 
And also then it will make you feel better because then it will be slow release rather than having a short, sharp thing. Insulin goes, then it brings it down really quickly. So it will stop all this, you know, variation mm. in, in okay. blood sugar control. How important is it then to try and keep your blood sugar at a consistent level throughout the day then, as opposed to having these peaks and troughs? Well, I mean, the body is, very, is going to do its best to try and do that for you. But obviously, if you can make its life easier, <laughs> that's also a good thing because everyone knows what it feels like when your blood sugar goes a bit low. You feel a bit, you just don't feel good. I personally get a headache. Some people get a bit sick and, and you know what I mean? So it's hopefully instinct that you yeah. are aiming to do it like that and avoid the big peaks and troughs. Your body will, is amazing. It will do its absolute best to keep things stable for you. But as I say, if you give it, you know, an easier ride into this, and if you don't overload it, like the tendency towards insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, then obviously you're going to make your hormones last for longer rather than wearing them out effectively. What is your take on processed food and sugar and treats? Well, I think everyone needs a treat. And actually, you know, going back to what's, the, what's eating food, Food, we've talked about the sort of the mechanics of it. You need the energy, you need the, you know, the spread, the time of it. This is all very non-emotional. We have to realize that actually having a meal with friends or your, your partner or your children or wherever it is, that's also a social aspect. So you have to bear that in mind and going out for a meal, if we can, you know, having a nice dessert once in a while, you know, so I, I'm not of a sort of puritanical nature that you should consciously restrict yourself but and you should allow yourself to you know actually enjoy having a meal with friends and once in a while having having your treat if you want uh, it's just when those treats become uh, not a treat anymore <laughs> yeah yeah okay some people say 80 20 you know eat the right stuff and really well 80 percent of the time and 20 percent of the time give yourself a pass i mean if you had to come up with a bit of a rule for people listening what would you say oh listen I know you're trying to put me on the spot. I'm going to fiendishly right. resist because <laughs> it's so, so individual. Because I work with uh, athletes and dancers um, who have got uh, eating disorders. Right. Um, and I've also worked in NHS type 2 diabetic clinics where the person's overweight. Sure. So, and I think this is part of the problem while we have these extremes. Right. So if I give out some generic thing, if I say, oh, it's fine to eat the chocolate bar, then the type 2 by diabetics are going to latch onto that. Yeah. And if I say, oh, no, don't eat it, then the people who are tending towards disordered eating are going to jump on that. So I don't want to say Fine. anything too much. All I'm trying to sure. do, what I really want to emphasize, though, is absolutely food. It's one of those lifestyle things. And so you, can, you need to consider that it's a mechanical thing. You need the energy. You need the timing and all this. But also don't forget that it has this social element. And don't forget the yeah. definition of health is physical mental and social health and social yeah so okay. you see what i mean I, yeah so I'm no, that was an excellent with... answer nikki i'm gonna Phew. i'm gonna tip i'm gonna tip my cap to you that was, <laughs> that, was, that was very good that was very good okay you said in terms of food groups you said a little bit of fat but other people seem to be of the opinion you know that actually good fats are, are vital for our mm -hmm. for our brain health so yeah could i just get a bit of clarity on this on yeah. fat and yeah, what the best approach well, to it is. Well, I think going back to the old-fashioned thing <laughs> that we may have even been seen at school, you know, when they divide the plate into the third. So actually yeah. carbohydrates, you know, protein, you've got dairy, and you've got a little sliver of fat. 
But you're absolutely right. When we say fat, what do we mean by fat? So we're talking about, as you say, good fats, the omega-3s and oily fish. That's really good for brain health and, and cardiovascular health and all these sorts of things. Uh, having, uh, you know, some red meat once in a while is also is also fine. So that's what I mean by a little bit of fat. Um, I think it's the usual thing. I'm sounding very boring now, but it's, don't go Not to either all. extreme. Not at all. It, it's Not don't. I'm afraid Stay in that, the middle lane is what you're I, saying. You know, I'm saying that there is a lot of advocacy sometimes for the so-called ketogenic diet, which yeah. is just fat. But, you know, physiology says that actually that's a bit weird. If you look at your teeth, it's like, listen, we're designed to eat all sorts of food. But equally, you know, those who are, you know, with disordered eating and eating disorders, you know what I mean? So honestly, it's so individual, how much fat, yeah. what fat, but in general, it's don't either avoid it, but don't, don't equally depend on it. But you're absolutely right. Choose wisely and also choose something that you like. I'm fortunate. I really love salmon. So yeah, my fortunate. oily fish, I'm covered, you know, so whatever it is that you like, you also have to think about that. Okay. So lifting weights, eating healthily, having routine, but then also the connection side of things. Because obviously I've seen certainly fewer friends than I would have liked to have done over the mm. last couple of years, as we all have. Could a lack of connection, could a lack of seeing people you want to see impact your hormonal health? Well, I think so. I think, you know, going back to social health and that actually also impacts physical and our mental health for sure we know we've seen that haven't we so again making those connections with people whether that's having a meal together whether that's doing exercise together whether that's just meeting up for a chin wag you know whatever and also sort of meeting people face to face uh, things have become very virtual yeah. uh, by necessity you know we are social and actually neurotransmitters which are very short range hormones in the brain those all are important for our mood so for sure, that's a really, really important consideration. Final thing before we move on, I mentioned TRT. Mm -hmm. So the rise in people of, of my age and even younger, perhaps going to clinics or even sourcing testosterone themselves. So the rise of people who are taking testosterone replacement therapy, injecting it or getting the patches or whatever, mm -hmm. because they're feeling a bit sluggish, a bit moody. What's your take on synthetic or artificially increasing your testosterone i would be very very careful if you take external testosterone it will suppress your own internal production and for younger men that will mean an impact on well for any man it will mean an impact on their fertility so they might feel great for a while but then if they uh, come off it then i've seen it on the blood test uh, and there's a study in Australia concerningly showing that, you know, it's a long time for your body to recover, for the endocrine system, the production to recover and fertility can be impacted. So there's that side of it. There are some men who absolutely do need proper prescribed testosterone replacement, undoubtedly, right? And that's a medical condition. And you've, you know, you've looked at the whole hormones and you can see that it's, you know, it's just not working. But if your uh, testosterone is in the range and, uh, yeah, it, maybe you want it to be a bit high, guess what? You do all the things you've just described, uh, yeah. you know, the exercise, everything, and that will bring it up by itself rather than having to resort to external testosterone. And the concern is that, uh, you know, it will suppress your own internal production. And especially if you're not getting it, you're not having it properly monitored, then actually really high levels 
and I've seen some really high levels, by the way, that's a big risk for heart disease. The blood gets really, really thick and all sorts of other, you now you've got a whole load of other health risks involved. Right. So yeah. it's like, you know what, is that actually worth it? Okay. Right. Let's move on to women. So for us chaps, obviously there's, you know, when you start approaching middle age, the testosterone does start to drop off and, and it's, it's worth sort of being a bit cognizant of, of the mm-hmm. things we're talking about, making these tweaks to keep ourselves in as best shape as we possibly can. But women do have it harder, don't they? When it comes to the menopause, the perimenopause, I mean, it can be brutal. Yeah, well, so for example, both men and women, their growth hormone uh, decrease with age. So in that sense, we're similar. But just to put some figures on this, testosterone, the range typically for a man under 50 is in the region of 8 to 29 that's measured in animal per litre. For example, over 50, the range just slips down a little bit to 6 to about 28 or 27 nanomoles per litre. So yes, there is a, a slight drop. Right, women. The highest our estradiol will go during the menstrual cycle is about 1,000 picomoles per litre. After the menopause, it's not uncommon for the level to be 18. I repeat, 1,000 to 18. So it's a really significant drop. No wonder women feel it, because after all, these uh, female hormones, estrogen, progesterone, have been going up and down throughout their life from the age of whenever their period started, 12 or something, and then menopause, typically average age is 51. So the body has got into a nice little routine and these hormones are great for bone health, uh, you know, mental health, cardiovascular health. And this is why when women reach the menopause, their risk of cardiovascular health shoots up to equal that of men because our estrogen is now in our boots. Just to get the definitions, menopause is when it stops. The ovaries just stop work producing the hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And the perimenopause is the run up to that when they're sort of going part time, the ovaries. It's like, well, maybe not. Maybe See, the, the, the hormones are sort of going down, but in a sort of an intermittent fault type of way. So that in some ways, that's really even more frustrating because you don't literally don't know if you're coming or going, you know, and that's when you hear about women really struggling with hot flushes and changes in mood and brain fog. So that's what's happening for women. And there's a lot more talk about discussing this, because after all, life expectancy for a woman, now we're going to be living maybe a third of our life in the menopause. We need to get clued up on what it is, what to do. And this is an example where hormone replacement therapy is actually pretty important and helpful for women. If you're having that really massive drop in hormones, then hormone replacement therapy can be a lifesaver, literally in terms of both quality of life and long-term health in terms of cardiovascular health and bone health. So that's why it's different. So I'm not being dismissive of men, but I'm just making it clear that there is a reason why there's this quite big difference between men and women when we're talking about middle age in terms of hormones I'm talking about and yeah. therefore in terms of treatment. It seems to me, in fact, I know that there's a, been a significant increase in the amount of 
awareness campaigns around mm, exactly. the menopause in recent years, but they're popping up a lot more now. And you know, I've heard stories of people who were going through really difficult things, really difficult mood changes, emotional disturbances, you know, having to leave work. Yes, exactly. Uh, Impact I mean, it work. can mm. be absolutely life shattering in some Quite. ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So fortunately, it is being talked about more and certainly going back and forth. We are also very much aware of this and doing our bits. And we developed a special type of hormone blood testing for women where we map the hormones over the menstrual cycle. Because a lot of it is about uncertainty. Because hmm. if you're a woman of 45 and you just literally you think you're going a bit crazy, it's like, why am I feeling so bad you're not quite sure is it perimenopause or is it something else or I don't know what is it and up till now it's been very difficult to know for sure because hormones are so complicated but we've managed to come up at forth with the solution of uh, mapping the hormones over the cycle and then we can say to the woman yes you're right it is perimenopause uh, you know the hormones aren't looking so great and so these are some positive things you need to do. This is where you need to go and do your homework and look up and read up about HRPT and be ready to get on that. Uh, or it might be the other way. It's like, well, actually, these are hormones aren't looking so bad. So maybe we need you need to look at something else. Is it your thyroid? Is it something else? What's going on? So it's just taking away that uncertainty and having a clear plan of action, what you need to do. We mentioned lifestyle mm -hmm. in terms of like testosterone. Can the same be applied for perhaps younger women in terms of reducing its impact through the things, nutrition, exercise, sleep, socializing, etc. It will certainly help exactly all the things we've talked about. So in both men and women, growth hormones going down. So doing strength training, big, mm. important thing to do for women. And also all the things we've discussed about the sleep, about the nutrition, because it might be that actually, you know how it is when you get you can get away with a lot in your 20s. And, but yeah. now it's like, listen, it's a good time to review things. So absolutely, all those lifestyle things we've discussed are exactly the same. And that will help. Yeah. Anything is better than nothing. Top of the list is strength training. Listen, I think we've covered quite a lot, sort of hormone Oof. 101. What do you yep. think? I think we have. I do need to point people in the direction of Forth. This is the company that you work for. I've mm -hmm. done a few blood tests and looked under the bonnet, as it were, of my own hormonal health. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about Forth, where people can go, why they'd want to use it before I bid you adieu? Sure. If you look on Forth with Life. And that's F-O-R-T-H. Yes. And it has a whole range of various tests. If you are an athlete or doing a lot of exercise, there's Forth Edge. And that provides more specific types of tests, uh, you know, if you're a runner or a triathlete or a swimmer. But you can also do the female hormone mapping through that. Fantastic. It's been fascinating picking your brains. Really appreciate it. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Dr. Nikki Key. Like I said, I found that testing my hormones via Forth's home blood tests and then making lifestyle tweaks to be really beneficial. As Nikki said, it's all about being proactive rather than reactive about your health. When it comes to resistance training, I know that some people don't enjoy lifting weights in the gym and the truth is you don't have to. 
I simply bought a selection of dumbbells. It didn't break the bank and I found a program on the internet which I now use at home for just 20 or 30 minutes three or four times a week and I definitely feel better for it. Then there are the other obvious factors including, for example, cutting out processed foods, eating whole foods, reducing stress by taking time to power your brain down, getting out into nature, staying away from screens, all that type of stuff. Plus the power of routine when it comes to sleep and eating can be huge. If you have any questions, get in touch at Simon Mundy on social media or drop me an email via my website, simonmundy.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, Monday on Monday. And please do share this episode. It does make a big difference. It would be hugely appreciated. And please do let me know when you do so I can take the time to thank you. There will be a bite-sized episode along in just a couple of days. But until then, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.